This is Beyond Belief Sobriety, a podcast for people who are seeking or who have found a secular path to recovery from addictions of all kinds. Well, hello, and thank you for spending some of your time to listen to our podcast. I hope this is a good experience for you and that it adds a little something extra to your stockpile of recovery capital. In this episode, I speak with Leah Lauz, author of Fireflies, Finding Light on a Journey Through Addiction. I enjoyed reading this book, and I had a lot of fun speaking with Leah. In the book, she describes her own journey of recovery that started with her first Al-Anon meeting in October of 2019. Now, I begin the conversation by pointing out the first rule of podcasting, which I said was to always ask your guest how they pronounce their name. Actually, that's rule number two. Rule number one is to always press record. Anyway, there's a lot of good content to be found in our conversation. Uh, But before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Soberlink. If you're seeking a tangible way to maintain accountability and prove sobriety to loved ones, you have to try Soberlink. If you haven't heard of Soberlink, they've created a remote alcohol monitoring system that revolutionizes the way people document sobriety. The system includes a breathalyzer and uses artificial intelligence to display your test results in a calendar format, helping you analyze your habits and prove to yourself and others that you are, in fact, not drinking. It even has real-time results, facial recognition, and tamper detection, so no one will question the validity of your results. Soberlink and I have created a guide called Five Tools and Strategies for Those on a Secular Path to Recovery that you can find at soberlink.com bbs. If you're ready to take the next step in your recovery journey, mention the Beyond Belief Sobriety Podcast when ordering Soberlink, and you'll receive $50 off their device. And now, episode 257, Fireflies. Today I have a guest I'm really looking forward to speaking with. Uh, She wrote a really nice, wonderful, inspiring book. Um, Her name is Laura, and I should have asked you how to pronounce your name, Laura. Oh, yep. Uh, (laughs) Not Laura, even Lee. Oh, I uh, Leah Lauk. Leah like Lauk. Leah Lauk. and cow. Yep. Leah Lauk. Okay. The first rule in podcasting, always ask the guest how you pronounce their name. <laughs> well, ironically enough, I'm a speech therapist, so I do this all day long. <laughs> anyway, it's nice to have you here. She, um, she is the author of Fireflies, Finding Light on a Journey Through Addiction, where she writes about the experience she had in her own recovery dealing with her husband's addiction to alcohol. And, um, you know, when I, Leah, when I was reading your book, uh, there was a, and I'd like for you to kind of go through your story through the book, but the thing about your book that kind of grabbed me was, I can't remember, it was later on in the book, I was, I was kind of getting to know you as you were describing your situation with your husband. And I had this idea that, man, she is so put together. She's so smart. She's got it all together. And then you wrote about how you really didn't. You know, how you, how you, how you really needed help. And that was just, um, and it was interesting to me because as you went into that, uh, I guess the codependent, um, 
not not being able to say no is a big deal for me. I was relating to that a lot. And so then you kind of grabbed me and held me from there forward as we went through the story. And um, it was just a wonderful experience for me to, to read that. So thank you for writing the book and being here. Yeah, I'm so excited. And I really appreciate your insights because um, I think that, you know, my demographic, I'm, I'm a working mother in my 30s. And I think that that maybe not codependency per se, but I think a lot of um, working parents can relate to the thought of, you know, of taking care of everyone in your life or not saying no. And maybe that, you know, people even outside of our, of our wonderful sobriety community can relate to some of the themes in the book that a lot of the times, you know, we, we do so much and then we focus on other things and maybe not focus on putting ourselves first in a way. And I think, um, you know, coming through this recovery process and learning how to, you know, you know, live one day at a time and put myself first and even learn and apply self-care where if I hadn't gone through this, um, this whole recovery process that I wouldn't really know a lot of the principles. So I'm actually really grateful of, of coming along in the program and, and my journey, you know, through, through the darkness, there's always some light and there's hope and there's lessons. And, and I hope that, you know, the readers can, can really, you know, relate to some of those themes you mentioned early in the book, um, you started going to Al-Anon, if I remember right, it was like October 2019. Yes. And you had reached a point where um, your your husband's drinking was like he was living a double life, that there were, there were lies because he was hiding his drinking. And you, I guess, how would you describe your state of mind at that, at that moment when you kind of realized I mean, was this like a sudden realization that you had that, wow, I don't know him or I don't understand. He's, he's living a double life. How, was that like an immediate thing or is that over time? And can you just kind of describe how that felt and what propelled you to that first meeting? Yes, definitely. I think it was kind of twofold. It was sort of like, you know, I feel like with our culture, there's such there's not a definitive line of, of what sometimes it, the, the pervasiveness of the, of the alcohol culture. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, I would come home and have a glass of wine and be like, Oh, I had a bad day or I had a great day. I'm going to have a glass of champagne to celebrate. So I knew my husband was a heavy drinker and, and I chose to kind of overlook some of those things. You know, I, I think even before I started in Al-Anon, sometimes I, I sort of, uh, you know, d disconnected with love, you know, uh, sort of in a way. But then I did realize, I did come to a hard realization that my husband, you know, was an alcoholic when he did have a medical emergency. And um, ironically enough, because I worked at a hospital, I took him to the hospital I worked. I thought he was having a stroke. He's, you know, was 40 years old. He was hemorrhaging blood, nosebleed, uh, intense hiccups. Um, he was walking like he had a paralysis. I'm a speech therapist. I noticed he was having trouble with word finding. I thought he was having like a TIA or something. I was terrified. And um, he was diagnosed with early um, liver failure at that point. So, I mean, at that point, I couldn't overlook it anymore. Um, at that point, it was a life or death situation. And um, 
So, you know, I kind of, you know, everyone comes to their realization in their own way. But at that point, um, my husband was, was coming to terms with that. And um, he was he, uh, voluntarily um, admitted to rehab. And that was the point where um, I had a lot of feelings of anger and betrayal. Not so much. I mean, obviously, I was mad at first before I understood addiction. I thought it was intentional. And I thought he was um, surrounding himself with secrecy in a, in a way to deceive me. And you can see in the book, my thought process of, of learning more about addiction and going to Al-Anon and therapy and, and, you know, reading and listening to podcasts of like, it wasn't something that he was intentionally doing to hurt me. His disease hurt him and the disease hurt us both. So I wanted to, you know, to say that of that in a way, like, I forgive you this. I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at this disease. I hate this disease. And it, I want to join forces with you and, and be honest with you so we can deal with this problem together, but on our own, on our own path, I'm going to be in Al-Anon and do my program and, you know, you choose to do your program. So I hope in the book, it did convey that way where, you know, at first, before I understood you know, the disease process that I was angry and I was mad at him. But then when I came around in my knowledge base and I, I realized it was a disease and that's kind of why I'm so proud of, of you doing these podcasts to, to, you know, to tell people it is a disease and I don't, you know, I, I, I don't hate my alcoholic. No, right. 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 No, I love it, him. I hate the disease. Right. No, and that did come through in the book. Um, I mean, I could definitely see a progression where you where you were at that point where, um, you know, uh, the 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 that that you felt like that that he was hiding something from you, and that you were there was some there was anger there about it. But to, later on in the book, you were really focusing on yourself. Another thing about the book, and and I don't want to jump ahead too far, but I like that you stress that you know it's not easy. It's not, it's not like, you know, everything becomes wonderful again and there's ups and downs. And, you know, you wrote about when he came back from treatment and it wasn't just all a bed of roses, you know, it was, you know, it's a lot of hard work, but the bottom line is that work is worth it. I mean, there's always, um, there's always some risk associated with, you know, anything, uh, and recovery has its risk, but so does not, not being in recovery and, but not being in recovery doesn't really have the rewards that being in recovery has. So I want, I, I, one question I had for you though, um, has to do with, I, I wonder if from your, from the spouse of an alcoholic, um, from their perspective, are, are they, do they deal with denial also? I mean, I remember when I first acknowledged and recognized that I had a problem with alcohol, I was shocked as I looked back that I didn't realize it earlier. Did you have that feeling? Um, about not recognizing my son or my husband's? Yes, I did. Um, and there's a part in the book where um, I just felt so guilty and shameful because my daycare provider told me that my son, our son didn't want to be picked up by my husband. And he was in the book, he's three, he's five now. Um, and at that time, I just thought, cause you know, I was his primary caregiver and that, that, you know, and he's a 
small child that he gravitates toward, you know, his mother. And, and I didn't really recognize some things that my son was picking up on that my husband wasn't present with him, that he would pick him up from daycare and zone out in front of the TV and drink. And, you know, he never was um, violent with us or anything like that, but he just was checked out. And um, that was the part of, of the, that was the hardest part of me writing the book because I, to sit with that, to, you know, to sit with my, you know, of things that I ignored or, um, you know, let go and that, you know, potentially could have put our child in, you know, in danger and to sit with those kind of feelings. Um, but, you know, and sometimes you don't know because, you know, he was hiding things from me. So, you know, it's like we had some, I, I tried to write it from the perspective as we both had some guilt in this situation, if that makes sense, you know, and, um, and, you know, this is a program where you do have to sit in some very uncomfortable feelings. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we, we only can take this day and try to move forward and, my son now is in kindergarten and um, on Friday he came home with a paper that had said, what's something that you like about yourself? And he said, I'm happy. I like myself because I'm happy. And I immediately, you know, went to my husband and said, thank you. Thank you for your work in recovery. You know, it's been two and a half years and we both do this journey together. We're both sober now and take one day at a time and try to be present for our son. And, you know, that our son is happy now because his dad is present and healthy and alive is, um, you know, the, the miracle. And, you know, we just came from a soccer game where my husband is coaching, you know, the, um, the team now and his, his sponsor and said, Hey, this is an unexpected gift of sobriety. You know, he's never, he has like very limited knowledge about soccer and, um, <laughs> but you know, of like, I, I see an opportunity to, to connect and make the world a better place in a way and a 12 step in a way. And, um, and you know, of, of, we might not have that light or that happiness or that awareness unless we've kind of been through it in a way. I don't know if that makes sense, but the, the true happiness and the honesty in our relationship now and the empathy we have for, for other people that are struggling or the gifts of sobriety that if we hadn't been through this, we wouldn't be that aware. And I, I think I tried to explain how that was at the end of the book when I said I was drinking like a, a, a lemonade and just realized like even after a year of sobriety and I, I was, I don't consider myself an alcoholic, but I realized that in order to live life with someone with a long-term illness that I have to do my part in it. And I, for my choice was, I can't expect him to do something that I can't do myself. That doesn't seem fair to me. And also that I recognized that, you know, some behaviors that I was doing to cope with things aren't healthy. You know, it's kind of a wildly unhealthy culture we have, the the wine mom culture. You know, I'm in my 30s. Oh, my kid did X, Y, and Z. I should, you know, drink tonight. Or, you know, those are very unhealthy things that we kind of maybe promote in our culture. And I recognize that there's better ways to cope. And, um, you know, after a year of sobriety, I, I tasted this like kiwi lemonade and just realized how much more I don't know if it was awareness or my senses came back but it's like you know just feeling like alive 
and that's that's just a gift of sobriety. I thought that was interesting that you decided for yourself to also um, become abstinent from alcohol uh, along with your husband. Uh, I know not all Al-Anons do that, uh, which is fine. And but I thought that was interesting, and it does it does um, remind me that uh, you know alcohol just basically really isn't good for you anyway. It's no, really not just, good for anybody. <laughs> I took it like you numb your pain. For my yeah, husband, a lot he not, had chronic pain, he had depression. Yeah. You're just kind of like not for him. It was like numbing, and then I just recognized, like in a way that you know, and and people that aren't you know alcoholics or addicts, like don't we all in a way numb our pain through like online shopping or you know other things that maybe are not considered healthy? And I think maybe for people that are outside of our immediate community, maybe can relate to that and maybe have a little bit more empathy for for people that are struggling. That we all have pain. You know, and we all do some unhealthy things to try to deal with that pain. And I thought in order to support my husband and my journey and, and owning my side of the street to learn coping strategies and, and live life to, you know, um, just be more aware and try to And writing for me was so therapeutic. And that's where the book came from, um, uh, you know, a way to kind of... Um, you know, to cope and to be healthy, I guess. Yeah. So could you describe for me um, what your first meeting was like, how you felt? <laughs> yeah, my first Al-Anon meeting. Wow. <laughs> I, I, you know, you had mentioned that I was, you know, buttoned up and together, you know, I'm kind of like the, the friend you always call when you need help or, you know, and you need advice or whatever. And I, all I can say is I was a complete hot mess when I went to Al-Anon. It was so embarrassing because I, you know, I, I showed up there and, you know, I had, you know, nice makeup and nice clothes on and, and I get there and I literally got like two words out before the floodgates opened. And, and it was just, you know, and nobody really wants to tell their, you know, deepest, darkest secrets to a bunch of strangers. And, and what was so funny was that Al-Anon room was in this really bad part of town. Um, I knew because um, I worked at a medical facility that was adjacent to it. And it was just, I mean, it was like a super seedy part of town. Didn't want to be there. I really wanted no part in Al-Anon when I went there. Um, and then I just broke down into tears and the chair of our meeting just like held me. It's like this grandmother woman just like holding me. And it's just like, you know, at that point, it was just, um, you're at your rock bottom, you know. And um, just to have somebody be there of like, hey, I've been there, you know. And um, that feeling of, of being free. I think, um, you know, women, especially, you know, I come from a little type A perfectionist set of just being like, there, there was something so freeing about that of like, I'm not perfect. I'm not okay. Like I'm no part to this. Do I feel okay? But just that like someone will love me and care about me and be there for me. And, and eventually there's a way through this. And that's why I wrote the book of someone that, Hey, is like, you know, I had the, the vision of my head of, of somebody that was in my shoes. Like, I just don't want to get out of bed this morning. I've been crying all night. I just feel just like there's, you know, there's no hope. And I wanted to write the book for someone that was in my place. So I could, 
make them feel like they weren't alone because it's feeling deal, alone is yeah and to to feel that like somebody has been there somebody has has experienced some of the feelings that i have it just uh, that gives you just um so much hope yeah so much hope that maybe i can come out of this and be okay and not so alone you know, one of my more memorable experiences in recovery um, was taking a woman to an Al-Anon meeting. And I hadn't been to very many Al-Anon meetings. I think that might have been my second, maybe, time I've ever been to an Al-Anon meeting. But um, what blew me away, and I don't know why it surprised me. I don't know why, I don't know why it, it impacted me this way, because I've seen it in AA a million times. But that everyone in that room understood exactly where that woman was. And I could just feel the love in that room for that woman and the care. And I just felt like, wow, man, she was in the right place. And I don't know if she, if she kept going back or not, but, um, what that's, that's just, that's the power I think of Al-Anon NAA is to, find yourself surrounded immediately in a community of people who really understand where you're at. Completely. And, um, and especially for this audience, um, I wanted just to say there was a part of my book and I'm not religious or anything. You, and, you wrote about that a couple of times, actually. But you, <laughs> <laughs> well, you can see in my book where, right. my, where my parents were like, hey, you should go to church. You should talk to a priest. And I'm like, the priest is like the last person that's going to help me with my alcoholic husband. You know, like I just um, and but the people in Al-Anon understood and i kind of wanted to say too of like you know um to come on this program of of to say like um from a spouse's perspective it's you know and when, when we're in al-anon we're not you know talking negatively about our alcoholic it, we're we're trying to recover and take the wreckage off of ourselves from the disease that hurt us both like we're on the same team here it's like you know we have like a common enemy in the disease of alcoholism and addiction and I just wanted, um, you know, to come on on the podcast and say, you know, even if first, you know, things don't, you know, in my case, things things did work out and there was a happy ending. But even if it doesn't necessarily work out, you know, marriage wise or, or you know, whatever, maybe in your own life, that there's there's hope, there's light that, you know, that we can we can put one foot in front of the other and um and hopefully get some some positive lesson from this. I'm glad that you this mentioned disease. that there was a happy ending because I didn't want want to have a spoiler to your book. <laughs> but the thing was, I was like on the edge of my seat as I was reading that because I was like, please, please, please work out. I don't want to cry at the end of this book. <laughs> and, the, and exactly, and I, that's why I kind of wrote it too. And because when I was going through it too, um, I remember I went to uh, an individual therapist that eventually I wanted to, you know, do marriage. My husband and I did marriage counseling and um, the therapist was like, you know, I, you know, when you tell somebody like all these deep, dark secrets, you're just think they're just going to be completely horrified and be like, oh my gosh. But she, <laughs> you know, she wasn't phased at all, which was shocking to me. Cause I was like, really? Cause this sounds like rock bottom. But, um, 
<laughs> but she was like, you know, I had a, a couple that had the pretty much the same experience and their marriage was better from it. I'm like, really? You know, <laughs> I don't see how, you know, at that point before I really knew about the disease, I'm like, really? Because I hate him right now. But, um, <laughs> but then, you know, when you kind of go through the process, you can kind of, uh, at least, you know, in, in my case, you can kind of understand, you know, and, and I think that I wrote the the book because the books that I read were either written from the perspective of the alcoholic or addict, which it's very commendable, or a parent. But there wasn't a book that was written from a loving spouse's perspective. of, And I wanted it to come across of like, I see you. I love you. I want you to come out of this. But you know, but I have to focus on myself and telling my side of the street. And, and I, I thought maybe in a way that would help people that, you know, are, have a loved one with addiction, but also maybe the, the person with, that's, has the addiction also to see what we're, you know, that what we're trying to do and maybe see that perspective of, of I'm not blaming you. I don't hate you. I, I'm just trying to tell the story of how I feel how I'm trying to work through this. I think it would help. Um, exp- I think it would help a lot to understand that. I mean, it helped me. Um, it helped me even after so many years of being sober to read the side of the spouse and, um, uh, and how the disease impacts the family. And uh, I mean, I, I think I don't, I swear to God, I think there's almost every family has this somewhere uh, and maybe it, not in their immediate household, maybe a generation ago, it, it was a problem. I don't know, but it's so widespread. Um, we deal with it. My family, you know, my, my mother-in-law goes to Al-Anon and, uh, uh, her daughter, my wife's sister, um, is the alcoholic and is not doing very well. Um, but my mother-in-law is, in fact, I'm going to, uh, suggest that she read your book. <laughs> She's going to love it. Um, but, the it's helping her cope with her own under her own feelings, I guess, and her own trauma around this, around this uh, disease, you know? And so it's been very, very helpful for her. So I wonder if you could go through a little bit about the whole process of when your husband started treatment. I mean, he, he, first of all, he was very badly physically addicted. So he had to go through a, a physical detox. Yes. Um, you know, it's just honestly, it's just a happy ending and a miracle. I mean, it's just um, when he basically he, he had to go to detox, which was a very long detox. Um, he had almost multi um, system failure at 40. He had beginning liver disease. Um, they had to keep him in 24 seven medical monitoring. I couldn't call him. He was in detox for three days. He, um, they called me at work and said, he's not doing well. He has full body tremors. So he almost died before rehab and during detox. So, um, you know, and at that, I'm 38 now, but I was 36 at that time with a three-year-old and, you know, getting a call at work that your spouse is not looking like they're going to pull out of this is very traumatizing when, you know, when you consider, um, I could be a widow, not even like, you know, in my mid thirties and, you know, and, um, I think when you, you kind of, 
deal with it. You're not the same person. You know, I'm not the same person I, I was, you know, I'm a stronger and better person. But um, so he was in a uh, medical professionals yes. program. And that's another interesting aspect, by the way, of this book is as the whole other issues around medical professional medical professionals and addiction. Yeah. And I wanted to say that too, of, you know, I wanted to write the book for, to address the stigma of, and I think I, I wanted to publish it at a time where, you know, we are going through the pandemic and, and, you know, I think unfortunately with people being homebound and, you know, our medical professionals being pretty stressed out with, with the care that unfortunately I think this is compounding a lot of the you know, the, the exponential growth in addiction. And I, I wanted to dispel some of that stigma that it can happen to anyone. And, you know, it it doesn't have to, you know, I wanted to write it from my perspective of, you know, my husband's not, you know, homeless or, you know, you kind of think when, oh, uh, you know, drunk, you know, it's like, well, not everybody is living under a bridge that has a problem with alcoholism. There's a lot of people that are high functioning people. And in the program that he went to, they had medical professionals. They had a program for first responders. You can understand the stressors of being a police officer, a firefighter, an EMT. They had a special program for that. They had a special program for, um, executives you can understand the the rigors of being a ceo of a company or a celebrity or certain sectors um, of entertainment you can understand they had a special program for people that are geriatrics older people that maybe have chronic pain that that they're you know trying to you know use substances or opioids to deal with you know pain um i wanted to kind of highlight that you know, that it could happen to anyone and to dispel some of that stigma. Um, and my husband was in an exceptional program and I really give a lot of kudos to the therapist there because we had marriage counseling and the therapists really um, were the ones that helped me recognize that it, the disease really hurt me. And, and even before um, I, you know, started to realize about my husband's addiction of, of I did ha- have codependent behaviors even as a child growing up in a strict religious household and always you know trying to be miss perfect and doing what I'm told and things like that where I I wasn't really maybe living the life to the fullest or the healthiest that I could be so in a way I'm really grateful for learning the you know strategies and applying the the principles to to realize that I don't have to acquiesce to please other people. I can do what what's healthy for me. Um, so yeah, my husband was in um, rehab for seven weeks. And then um, usually they go to sober living. Um, but because I had done the training and marriage counseling and that they had released him home because I was, um, you know, that he had a safe place to, to go. and. He was also fortunate he wasn't in a position like a lot of doctors are where his license was on the line. So he didn't have to go through any kind of special monitoring or anything afterwards. No. Yeah. A lot of doctors do. And yeah. yeah. And I had, and like I said, you can't really force anyone into sobriety or anything, but I had intervened at the point of, of luckily where he didn't have any criminal or professional um, things. And, And that's kind of why I wanted to kind of spread some awareness because you know, I think like in a way, if we 
have that that dialogue and 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 talk about the disease and and have that maybe that early early awareness of things and we can you know get people on the on the right track before things spiral out of control you know maybe the people can recognize that they're having a problem before they have criminal charges before they you know lose their license and don't have a job to go back to but we can kind of intervene at the point of it's not been going on for 40 years and you have a lot of health problems but maybe we can turn it around when we're you know and you know, our loved ones are younger and, and able to, you know, live meaningful lives. So what it was, what was it like after he came home from treatment? It, like I said, I, it, when you read about it, it wasn't entirely a bed of roses. It was good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was happy that he was alive. But yeah, I think too, where, you know, I had been keeping the home fires burning for seven weeks and realized I could manage the finances. I could run the household and, you know, and I am glad you are alive. But if you think you're going to come back here and do the same thing, but you got another thing coming. And also that I, you know, um, I wanted him to be a good influence for our son. He's, you know, he's three. I don't want him to put him in heart. You know, I know it wasn't intentional, but I don't want our son to be harmed. And also, um, you know, I was proud of my husband for breaking the chains of addiction because, you know, I don't want our son to to have that model at home because, you know, he would be the fourth generation of, of an addict in our family. And to, I want him to break the, you know, to, so good for my husband for, you know, breaking that, that genetic chain. You know, I don't want our son to be harmed if we can model. And that's, you know, why I chose kind of sobriety of that we can, you know, we might not have any control of that nature piece. He might inherit the the gene, but we could model ways of, of dealing with our emotions in a healthy way, hopefully, for our son. And um, yeah, so when he came home, I uh, a lot of things um, that could be sort of triggering, like, you know, some of the things that he would hide from me, like if he had the office door closed or something where I would be start getting a little bit anxious, but I Actually, one of the women in Al-Anon um, would tell me, like, don't kiss with a sniff. And basically, that means that, you know, you do your program as he does his. You know, you're not helping him by, you know, being his big brother, watching his back, you know, being on his every move. But, like, I'm going to do my program and focus on what I need to do. You focus on what you do. And a quote I told myself a lot was, when you focus on the hurt, you continue to suffer. But when you focus on the lesson, you continue to grow. And, and the lesson is we're alive and we're healthy and, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're better for our struggles. We recognize we're more aware, we're more empathetic and, and, you know, we're just trying to live our lives to the fullest. And, you know, and I just try to focus that and, you know, and from, from my experience, I, I, think I'm more brave and I take more risks like even coming on this podcast or I started my own business or I I try new hobbies and try to try to do things that push me outside of my comfort level those are all things that are that are gifts from that like I can't overcome things that are hard and do things that are potentially scary or new right yeah uh that's uh uh one of the benefits I found of uh being sober was that I had more time on my hands. Uh, it's amazing how much time drinking takes up and then uh, finding good positive uses uses for that. And so for me now, it's been for me, it's been a long time, but um, 
this podcast is kind of like an, a creative interest of mine that I like to do as part of my recovery. And it's something that I, I like to, you, you know, I, I do to fill my time. And ever since I've been sober, there's always been something like this that I was passionate about that I would get involved with. And it's just allows me to enjoy my, my sobriety and enjoy my life. The two, the two are kind of intertwined, but, um, yeah, I, I, I thought that, I thought your book was really well written. Um, I, it was a great experience reading through it. It was a very hopeful book. Um, it was realistic. I, I, I could feel the, um, the emotions of everybody involved in the book, you know, as you were writing it, uh, and felt connected to you and, and, and everyone. It was just, just really an amazing, um, experience re- reading that. Uh, so I, you know, I, I totally recommend it to anybody. I've already posted it on my Facebook group and, and suggested that, that, that they read it. I'm going to send it to my mother-in-law as well. So, cause there aren't a lot of books out there that just, that just kind of give you a really honest, emotional, realistic, um, experience that really turns out well for now anyway, you know, yeah, so one yeah. Day at a time. <laughs> yeah. So, so thank you so much for writing that book. Yeah. I really appreciate it. And like I said, it's kind of like, you know, you can't keep what you don't give away, you know, and I really commend you for doing the podcast or I did the book. It's like, you know, if, if that's how we support each other in our community. We, you know, I, I wrote the book in a way to give back to the people that helped me in Al-Anon, you know, of, of like maybe we can help the, you know, maybe a, a, a wider audience can be helped in a way. And also I wanted it to kind of be maybe written from a, a perspective of a potentially mainstream that other people outside of our community maybe can be more empathetic to people that are struggling or people that are, you know, have, have a loved one, you know, because um, it's really unfortunate how, you know, it, it is a disease, but if I said, well, you know, my, my son has cancer, you know, everyone would bring a, a, a dish to pass and, and, oh, you know, poor you. And the, but if I said my, my son has, you know, an addiction or my, my husband, my son's in rehab or, you know, that people, there's such a stigma and such shame. And I just don't want it to be that way. I want us to be able to talk about it, you know, and bring, bring, that's how we bring, bring it out into the light of community by talking about our, our, our problems and getting strengthening one another. I agree totally. Uh, So anyway, thank you very much again for, for writing the book and for appearing on the podcast. Uh, So we'll be posting that. That's another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support our podcast with recurring monthly contributions, head on over to patreon.com slash beyondbeliefsobriety or become a member of our YouTube channel. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, then visit our website beyondbeliefsobriety.com and click on the donate button. I do appreciate your support. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again real soon with another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety.